disqualified, that's what qualifies you. And so we've been in a few talks uh, talking about how uh, brokenness, how struggle, uh, how when life is hard, that that is actually a part of our sanctification or instead of sanctification, that is a part of us becoming who God's created us to be. It's a necessary part. It's a part that, that God allows to happen in our life and that it's only when we understand that Jesus is our blessing, that he is the one uh, that we desire, that we don't believe this lie that the blessed life is absent of those things. And then Brian talked last week about the woman who uh, was at the well and that she had five husbands and that she too was not disqualified, that, that she was the first evangelist, that when Jesus talked to her about who she really was, it was not condemning her or disqualifying her, but Jesus actually affirmed a message in her uh, that she went back to the city and the response from people was to come to him. That in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our struggles, our sin, our doubt, all of those things, we become and we are a powerful testimony and we are not disqualified. But also uh, that's revealed to us, that story, so that we know that we are called to go. Like you're not disqualified. And so, you know, get your fannies out there and get it done right? I mean, so it's not just, oh, I'm not disqualified. Happy Jesus, happy day, gonna play, gonna play with Jesus all day. I just made that up, okay? And so, that could be a kid's song. You got that recorded online. Okay, good. Um, but, but we're meant to go. We're meant to go in the midst of those things, because when we go, God is made big, and he's made beautiful, and he's made, you know, he's amazing, and, uh, but it's still hard for us to believe that that's who we really are and that we really can. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, No degree of holiness or heroism achieved by the greatest of saints is beyond the reach of any of us. No degree of holiness or heroism achieved by the greatest of saints is beyond the reach of any of us. Now, there are some great saints that have gone before us, Right? And the Bible even says John the Baptist, we are, we're ahead of him. We're ahead of everyone in the Old Testament because we have the spirit of the living God in us. We have a, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that Paul had. It's the same power that um, theologians who have shaped the church over history has. The same power that Bill Johnson has in him is in us. The same power, the same power, different call, different roles. The way it manifests is different, but, but the opportunity for us to become who God's created us to be is as powerful as anyone who has gone before us. And we're not called to do what others have done. We're only called to do what God has done in us and called to bring his message to others. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard for me to believe it because like you, I'm a messed up person. You know, one of the things I'll miss the most as I was thinking about this sermon was the opportunity I have and have had to remind us and to tell us that we're all messed up, that I'm messed up, that this is my story, and that we're all messed up, and that in our brokenness, in our frailty, in our struggles, in our sin, that the message of the gospel is that we have a Father who loves us that our identity is not in the things that we're doing or not doing. Their identity is in him as his child. That's who defines who we are. And that in and and being defined by him, that we are, as being his children, that we are heirs to all the blessings that Jesus Christ received. All of those blessings belong to us. 
and that we are saved not by our works, but by grace through faith. That it is through grace that we are saved. Again, and I love this message. I love, I love because it's kind of how we started as a church. It's it's who I am. I have a horrific past, and, and how God has, has used me to to do what He's done. And, and then we hear all these testimonies of what God's done with you over the last fourteen years. It's incredible. This is our story as a church. This is the foundation of who we are, and we welcome people in, don't we? that feel like they've been shut out from other churches because of religion and that they don't measure up or they've been divorced or they have addiction in their background or they've fallen or they've had affairs or, they've, or, or, or they don't give enough or whatever it is. We all have our stuff that we've been through that we've struggled with. And, and it's the, the church, we've said, River City Church is a lifeboat, not a pleasure cruise, right? We're a lifeboat. You come here and you get healed up and then you become someone who gives life to others, well, this, and I love that. I love, I love speaking about that. And one of the things that I will miss and not sure how it will work out is what that will look like in my future because I love it. But um, something interesting happened last night as I was preparing this talk because that's what this talk is about. Um, I, had two, I had a dream. I actually had two dreams and they were identical. It was a dream within a dream, the first one. And I'll never, this will freak you out, right? Because you're, in, you're dreaming about something, and in that dream, you realize, oh, I'm just dreaming, right? And so you kind of shift or whatever, and then you are dreaming about the dream again, and you're like, oh, man, maybe this isn't a dream. Like, this is actually happening. And then you realize, actually, in the, that dream, oh, this is a dream, and then you wake up, okay? Now, um, now that happened to me. And uh, I woke up and like checked my alarm 47 times from like 2 a.m. all the way because in this dream, what was happening was that we were in a mall and I don't, I, Martha helped me know what this meant, but uh, we were in a mall as a church and I was giving this message. I was sharing this message and I went to fi- finish it up. I went to work on it and I, uh, I went and, I, and to print it and um, I went to print it and then I couldn't find my way back to where my talk was to get it printed and I couldn't find and then I couldn't find my way back to where the church was in the mall somewhere I got totally lost and so I missed church I had this message I was so excited about right and I missed church and I didn't get to give it and um and so that happened twice and one of the things we see in Daniel is that God tells us when something happens twice he confirms it and so I was talking to Martha and she says and I didn't like what she said but it's true she said Antley She said, what God's saying is that this isn't your message to give to the church. This is his message, right? So this has been the Father's message to our church, and this will continue to be the Father's message to our church, uh, even when I leave, because it's not only my story, but it's our story together. And today's talk is a reminder of this reality, that our brokenness is beautiful to Jesus, because when we press into that love and that life and, and, and put our hope and our trust in Jesus in the midst of that, we reflect and make him beautiful in a way that we can't if we just spend our life faking that those things aren't happening or trying to get rid of those things instead of saying, Lord, I'm settling here, trusting and knowing that you are good, that there's hope, and I'm going to sing of your goodness and live out of your goodness in the midst of that. And so during the break, I asked them to play 40 by U2. It's one of my favorite songs. One of the first songs I played on the guitar, there's four notes. It was awesome. And, um, and this is Psalm 41 to 3. 
It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. So that's us, right? Like we're in the pit of the miry bog and nastiness of the world and gnarliness and all that, right? Dying. And he set my foot. So he lifted me up. Jesus jumped in. He jumped in there with us. Couldn't get out. Jesus jumped in there with us. And he reached out and he put us, pulled us out and he set my feet upon a rock, Jesus, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. All of God's creation, all of God's children, all of you here have been given a new song, have been pulled out of the mire and the muck and you have been rescued for the purpose of singing this song about God, about his goodness, so that you, as you put your trust in him, so will others put their trust in him. And it says, many, many, this is a promise, many will see, many will see your life. Many will see who God's created you to be out of this Bad play, this, you know, death, gnarliness or whatever, wherever we were, each of us in different places. But people will see you and, and they will be transformed and put their trust in you and they will fear the, the, the power of the living God when they see that in you. Not fear in a way that it repels them, but fear of, oh my gosh, God is amazing. God is almighty. God is amazing. But also the enemy will see and fear. Those who oppose God's kingdom will see and fear because the testimony of your light in the midst of your darkness is so powerful. It's so powerful. And you begin to reflect a holiness and a heroism, a faith that just like these people who have gone before us is just as powerful and, and sends the same message in a different way. And Jesus talks about this, doesn't he? He talks about this um, in the gospel of Matthew. He says, you know, in your life, in your life, you're going to have storms. You're going to have storms in your life. And the wise person builds, when they build their, their, their life on me, the rock, when you build your house, your life on me, the rock, and trust in me, when the storms come, you'll be okay. But they're going to come, but you'll be okay. And, and, and yet the person who hears the words of God, sees your testimony, Here's the love of God and refuses to build, build their house on Jesus. They build it on sand. And when the storms come, and they will, their life falls apart. They can't cope. They can't deal with it. And so you, they see you, though. They see you. And I just thought about the little piggy who built his house with bricks. They see you and the house that you have built on the rock. And they are drawn to that. They are in awe. They are amazed at what God is doing. But the enemy in the world, so this is what they want you to do, is, oh, storms are coming in your life. They don't want you to see the truth and the reality of God moving in your life, of God blessing and moving and empowering your life in the midst of these storms. He wants you to believe these lies, like, well, if God was really good, then why are you in this storm? Have you built, have, are you really rescued? You're kind of back, you're back in the mire. You're back in the muck that he rescued you from. You're back struggling with the same sin that you've always struggled with. If he's really rescued you, why are you living this way? Because the enemy's a lion and he prowls and he devours us in our weakest places. 
reminds us that we need Jesus again and again. But the enemy wants to believe that that disqualifies us, that that, that, that shows us, so actually you're, you're not built on the foundation of a rock, that you're not built on Jesus. He hasn't really rescued you because he wants to take us out. He wants us to not believe that we are a child of God, that, that our identity comes from knowing and being loved by Jesus, that he is the one who defines who we are. And see, the way, one of the ways the enemy does this is he wants us to live for this world. He wants us to believe that, um, that the most powerful and important manifestation of God's love and blessing are when he demonstrates that love, that power, and that blessing in our life now in a way that fixes us, that fixes the situation, that makes things right in this world now. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. And when you do that, you start praying things like God and believing things like, if God did this, then, then I'll I'll really be able to trust him and really be used by him. If my marriage was like this, then I would have happiness. If I had a husband or a wife, then then Lord, if you did those things in my life, then it would make me so happy and complete. And I just would, that'd be amazing. And and, and that'd just be awesome. Or if I just had this money, or if I just had this job, or if if these kids just quit picking on me at school and I quit being bullied, or my uncle was healed, or so-and-so was, and the list goes on. The list goes on and, and it, it creates this environment where we are asking God to fit into our plan, what we think needs to be happening, as opposed to us asking the question of how is what happening fitting into God's plan? How is the song that I'm singing that he's called me to sing in my life a part of his larger song, his larger symphony? That we're playing the oboe in the corner and we're asking God to come in and play the oboe with us or to, to start playing the drum. And he's saying, no, no, there's a, an orchestra. There is, there is a song that I'm singing that is much greater than you and you fit into it and you make a beautiful sound. And the sound is unique and beautiful even when you are in the muck and the mire, even when you're struggling, even when you're in pain, even when these things that don't, that aren't being fixed, these prayers that appear to not being answered. We should not view our life, and this is what the enemy wants, we should not view our life from the day that we're born to the day that we die. That's not our life. Mm -mm. What the Bible says is that your life began before eternity. Eternity past is where your life began begins, and it ends in eternity future, which means it never ends. Eternity past to eternity future. Not this space just right here. And when that is our mindset, we're living in a reality that before the creation of the world, it says that Jesus knew us, that he had a purpose for us, that we are created for a purpose. And that purpose was not so that our life would be fixed, so that our life would be looked like it was perfect or looked like the world says it should look. No, our life exists for eternity future, for the glory of God in the future, for the praise of God now, yes, but also in the future for eternity. Your life, you, all of us, all of us, every single person will live forever. All of us will live forever. Those who follow Jesus, those who live to glorify Jesus, those who in the midst of the storms of their life praised Jesus 
will be with him in heaven. And Jesus says, and I will hold you up and you'll be glorified because people will see what I did in you and see me. That in the midst of these storms, I will show people and remind people and you'll be held up and say, look at my glory in Mark. Look at my glory in Anne. Look at my glory in Aunt Lee or Bob or Laura. Look at, look at what I did in them while they were on earth. While they were on earth and they were struggling, look at all that I did and all that they struggled through, all that they suffered, all that they did all the time, maintaining their trust and putting their hope in me and glorifying me in a way that now I can hold them up and they can be glorified with me. You see, if we believe this, this truth, we don't believe this truth. Many of us don't. I struggle to believe this truth. And that is this, that every second, every second, every moment, every minute, every hour and day of your life, every single one, God is doing something. He's always doing something. He's always creating. He's always singing a new song into you. He's always working out who he is in your life all the time. Not just when things are good, but all the time. And if we believe that truth, if we believe that reality, that when we step into any situation, any situation, we know that God is already there. We know that God is doing something in us, that God is bringing us into something to bring life and to sing his song. You know, someone that um, had a little child in our church, and uh, this child was born um, with some complications and things that were not, were not right. And, and they brought, we asked if they could bring their child into our staff meeting and they did. And our staff began to pray for healing. Lord, you know, heal what is broken, make right what is wrong, command the enemy to leave. All these things, which are right things, which are good things. And in the middle of these prayers by the staff, this mom cries out, Lord, I praise the day that my son will sing of your glory. I praise the day that my son will sing of your glory. Not based on whether he is healed or not. Not based on anything that happens in this life. Her focus, her vision for her son was eternal. It was beyond birth and death in this world. That was her child. And I'm sure that that, I mean... When, when the father saw Jesus being crucified and he turned his back on him, he turned his back on him, it was because he was living for your eternal past and your eternal future. Jesus died for your eternal past and your eternal future. His eyes were always locked on the father. When Jesus came, it talks about him healing as people came to him, but he didn't heal everyone we know that everyone in the region wasn't healed because it says that he only did what he saw the Father doing. But everything that he saw the Father doing, that the Father commanded him to do, he did out of obedience, out of love, and out of trust for him. There's a story, um, there's a story that, uh, that I want to read in a second about Paul that demonstrates this. But it says this, one um, person, I don't know who it was, I just heard this. It says, someone who lives in darkness and laments the experience without trying to end it will eventually be able to see the light of God's life that darkness cannot overcome. 
So this, the idea is that when we find our place in dark places, when we find our life in dark places, and we don't complain, we don't just you know, give God the bird, and we don't just get angry, we, don't, we stay in it. The promise of, of God's word, the promise of scripture is, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death is that Jesus is with us and he will lay us down by the stream. He'll lay us down in green pastures, but we don't know when, we don't know when, but in the midst of walking in the shadow of the valley of death, we will see and experience Jesus in a way that we don't whenever he lay, lies us down in the green pastures in the way that we will experience him in our blessings and in the, the goodness of life. And I don't want to take anything away from that, right? I mean, those, that's, those are good times when we're joyfully celebrating with God and we're rejoicing when he does heal, when he does bring life, when he does these things. Those are times for celebration. And it says that we mourn with those who mourn and we celebrate with those who celebrate because both are a part of this life. Now, I don't have a lot of time to spend on this. I just want to paraphrase in 2 Corinthians 12, 10. It's the passage where um, Paul has this thorn, right? And, um, and the Lord doesn't take it from him. He asks three times for the Lord to take it. The Lord doesn't take it. And Paul explains why. But in the context of what's happening is that passage begins with um, these Corinthians saying, Hey, boast. Tell us this cool stories that you did, you know, that have done to you. Tell, tell us whenever, you know, you went up to the third heaven and you saw paradise and you came home and you came back down and, and you couldn't talk about it. It was so amazing. Tell us about those stories, Paul. And Paul's like, no, I'm not. Because people who boast about those kinds of stories, do not, they don't glorify God, it glorifies himself. He says, if I'm gonna boast and I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my suffering. I'm going to boast in my brokenness. I'm going to boast in the fact that I called out for God three times and he spoke to me even though his answer was no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And at the end of this quote, or end of this passage, it says, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I will boast all the more in my weakness So the power of Christ will rest upon me. Listen to that. When does the power of Christ rest upon us? When is God most glorified? When does that happen? He's saying, Paul's saying right here, when I'm at my weakest, when I'm at my weakest, when I'm at the bottom, when I'm hanging on by a thread, whenever, whenever I feel like I'm disqualified, whenever, I mean, this is, this is tricky. This makes grace very powerful though. Grace is true. This can mean that in your darkest pit of sin, the darkest pit of your sin, the ugliness that you've come from and you've been rescued from in your life and that you have, like a dog, you've gone back to that vomit, you've been gone back there, that in that place, grace is most powerful and beautiful. In that place, there's a power that you speak of Jesus Christ that is not spoken of when you are out of the valley of the shadow of the darkness of death. Now, we don't like to tell that story to our kids, do we? Uh-uh. I had one of my kids... Tell me this, right? Dad, I'm living my testimony right now. Like you and Alex Willis. I'm living my testimony. Right? Because he knows about grace. So he, he found out about grace, true grace. Right? No, that's not true grace. But he, in his mind, he was using that behavior to just, I'm not going to go there because that's just another big story. But that, that, is, that is hard for us to get our hands around. But grace is greater than you can imagine. Greater than you can imagine. And Paul is saying, in my weakness, in my struggle, in my brokenness, in my sin, and all, all of these things, 
I, I, I re- reveal the power of Christ because I am weak and he is made strong. I am weak and he is glorified. And it's his grace, not Paul's work. It's his grace, right? Not Paul's work. And so when we talk about in the midst of these things, what should we do? How should we act? Or how do we behave? Obviously, when we're in sin, we repent, we turn, and we come back to the Lord, right? We have, we have responsibilities in that. We have, there are things that we respond to, but we have the grace to do it. We have the grace to turn because that's a promise that his grace is sufficient. Now, if we choose not to, we choose not to, well, that's a whole other deal. But in our suffering, there's grace that's sufficient to get you through it, is what, is what Paul is saying. Regardless of the situation, my grace is enough. My grace will get you through. And so Paul rejoices. I mean, in all the blessings that God gave Paul, the apost- you know, he was an apostle, he taught, you know, thousands of people were transformed. He, he wrote most of the New Testament, all these blessings. He celebrates and boasts in this blessing as well, that his grace is sufficient for me and will carry me through. And he was persecuted more than anyone else in the Bible. He was persecuted. He was chained up. And he talks about that. He talks about what he went through in those times. And so the source of Paul's strength, right, and for us, goes back to our first value, which is the Father's love. What we love teaching here at River City Church is that it's the Father's love, Paul's love for the Father, Paul's experience of the Father's love that allowed him, caused him to trust Jesus in the midst of these difficult times that helped him believe that I have a song to sing in the midst of being imprisoned. I have a song to sing in the midst of this thorn, this illness that Satan has brought me that God has allowed Satan to bring me. That in the midst of this pain and the suffering and the storm, and we, no one knows really what, what that was. People have guessed, but they don't know. That in the midst of this, I can trust in him because I know his grace is sufficient. I know the love of the Father is true. I know that he loves me. I know I belong to him. I know that I am his child, that I am an heir to his kingdom, and that his grace will get me through this that his grace will get me through this. And the promise of the word is that he will not put me in any situation that he will not provide a way out of and that he, will, that he can't carry me through, that, that I can't handle. He will not put you in any situation that you cannot handle. That his grace is sufficient for each of us in whatever way or whatever situation he's called us into. And that's where it begins, is the Father's love, us experiencing the Father's love, understanding how much the Father loves us in the midst of our afflictions, in the midst of our struggles, that whenever we experience the Father's love and his beauty and his grace, we forget those things. We realize who we really are, and we don't have time to think about those things because we're experiencing and we're thinking about the beauty and the love that the Father has for us. We're going to play a video. I want to play a video for you. And um, it tells the story of a Christian artist um, who's talking about one of his friends uh, who died. And the story speaks about this reality that his heart was breaking. It was a youth guy. His heart was breaking for the youth 
of our nation. And, and he, said, he said that I would give up my life if it would mean that, that God would change the youth of this nation. I would die. I would give up everything. I would suffer the ultimate. The ultimate. The ultimate suffering is death, right? And the ultimate loss of power is death. That once you die, you have zero power. And he reflects in this song. We're going to sing it at the end of this. It's a song that is familiar. This reality that, that the song that he's singing is a reminder that the song that we are singing is not... It's not um, restricted by our afflictions. It's not restricted by the things in our life that are bad or that are ugly or that are broken. That the song that we're singing is response to the Father's love for us and is powerful. Now, this video, it, it's going to be awkward for some of you because it's, it's, it's just going to be awkward. It's emotional. It's awkward for me. It's an emotional guy. The singer's singing it. It's emotional. He's telling this story. And... Um, it also has Spanish subtitles. And so, unless this little group over here, you guys can read the subtitles. The rest of us probably not. But, um, but just ignore those. And the quality of the video is pretty horrendous also. <laughs> but get this. The reason is because when he signed for this record label, the record label took all the good recordings of this off of the internet everywhere they could find it. Why? Because they believed it misrepresented the gospel and the power of God. And this little bootleg thing, like I said, is horrendous, but you can hear his voice clearly. Following this, we are going to sing the song that he is talking about and then go into prayer ministry. A few years ago, one of my very best friends he got up one morning, he was in a prayer meeting, and he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, if it would shake the youth, I believe he said the youth of the nation, I'd give my life. He said, I'd give my life today if it would shake the youth of the nation. And he died that night in a car accident. He was one of the youth leaders. And later I became one of the youth leaders. and We were incredibly distraught by his death because everybody loved him so much. Um, and I, But at the same time, we knew he offered a precious sacrifice for something we believed in. We believed that a movement was going to rise from his death. I mean, not like Jesus or anything, but he said, Lord, if, I, if it would shake the youth of the nation, I'd give my life. And the Lord accepted that. So we have to believe that if the Lord responded to that first part of the prayer, I'd give my life and he'd respond to the second part of the prayer. Well, I became a youth pastor and for three years, I thought, when is this movement going to start? When is this going to happen? And I worked with a bunch of really awesome, wonderful kids and some awesome stuff happened, but a youth movement didn't happen. And years later, I felt like everybody had forgotten. 
I thought they'd forgotten about him. And I was the only one. I thought, Lord, what's the deal? Three years and nothing from his death. He was my best friend, Lord. And then uh, several months ago, I was playing at a conference and Lou was there. And we were playing and he leaned over to me and he said, let's, let's sing this in a stadium. And I kept ringing in my head, let's sing this in a stadium. What I realized, the day after he died, I woke up and I wrote this song the very next day. And it's not my song, but the song is at wings. <laughs> Everywhere it goes, I get emails from kids who've been delivered. I have people who've been saved just by listening to the song. And if this song, this has nothing to do with me. Maybe I am arrogant, but I'm not arrogant in this. Is that I truly believe that this song it's in some way a fulfillment to his prophecy, Lord. If you would shake the youth of the nation, I'd give my life. So he died, and out of his death I wrote this song. It's not even a worship song. It's a story about a guy named Stephen who meets the Lord for the first time after he's died. But I sing it like a worship song. Because I believe this song is going to shake the youth of the nation. And whether it shakes the youth of a nation tonight or some other time, I have to believe that it's going to shake the youth of a nation. So would you sing it with me to the Lord, but also it's intercession for the lost and the broken who need to know the true, real, deep love that only Jesus has to offer. Let's stand. Jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory, and I realize just. Beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me And oh, how he loves us so Oh, how he loves us How he loves us Sing that again, oh, how he loves us Oh, how he loves us. 
hurricane, I am a tree.